Despite the fact that Canadians celebrate their country's independence from the British Crown on July 1st, the date of which commemorates the unity of three North American British colonies, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and the province of Canada, comprised of present-day Ontario and Quebec way back in 1867, full independence would take another 115 years to achieve. In that time, Canada existed primarily within the shadow of the British Empire as one of the many Commonwealth nations, that is, those that had once been British subjects. While there have been many momentous occasions in Canada's history, the country came into its own at the height of the Great War, World War I, in a battle that not only turned the tide of the conflict, but also established itself as a sovereign power amongst the world's greatest nations. What was important about the Battle of Vimy Ridge? Who were the key players involved? And what is its legacy? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. A century has elapsed since the end of the Great War. In the years since its conclusion, nature has reclaimed the various battlefields upon which it was fought. Grass, trees, and flowers have once again taken over the blood-stained earth, but the scars still remain. Especially from above, one can easily make out the vast network of trenches crisscrossing the former Western Front, especially France and Belgium, the two countries where much of the fighting took place. It's here, in a place called Vimy Ridge, due southeast of the French port city of Calais, and a stone's throw away from the Belgian border, that, over a three-day period in April of 1917, Four divisions of troops from the Canadian Corps of the British First Army squared off against six divisions of the German Sixth Army. Known simply as the Battle of Vimy Ridge, it resulted in a Canadian and therefore Allied victory, though at great loss of life and even greater injuries. The Battle of Vimy Ridge was the first in a larger British offensive known as the Battle of Arras, so named for the region in northwestern France where much of the fighting was to take place. The primary objective was to attack German defenses in the hopes of breaking through their lines. Between April 9th and May 16th that year, the British achieved the longest advance since the start of the war three years prior, a major achievement given the nature of the conflict up to that point. Ultimately, however, the battle cost several lives on both sides, with the British suffering around 160,000 casualties and the Germans some 125,000. It was against this backdrop that the Battle of Vimy Ridge was fought, and incidentally was the event that set the Battle of Arras in motion. By 1917, Vimy Ridge had been under German control for about two and a half years. The escarpment, which had fallen in October of 1914, had become a highly sought-after target for the Allies, particularly the French and British, who had tried time and again to reclaim it. But much of the Great War was essentially a series of stalemates between opposing factions, as neither side could really advance without getting shelled or shot down in the open space between trenches known as No Man's Land. It wasn't until April of 1917 that, after all their previous attempts, their tactics bore partial fruit, and it would be thanks to the Canadian forces of the British First Army. In January of 1917, three Canadian Corps officers, along with those of other British and Commonwealth regiments, attended a series of lectures hosted by the French Army regarding their experiences in the Battle of Verdun the previous year. The French counteroffensive in that campaign, the brainchild of one General Robert-Georges Nivelle, had proven to be one of the Allies' greatest successes not just in 1916, but in the whole of the fighting up until that point. Their victory had been largely attributed to the support of strong artillery, in conjunction with their division's tactical skill, which which tore through five German divisions in two waves along six miles, 9.7 kilometers of front. Upon their return from the lectures, Commander Arthur Curry of the 1st Canadian Division began highlighting the lessons he felt the whole of the Canadian Corps could learn from the French. From this was born yet another attempt to gain Vimy Ridge, from the enemy, this time drawing upon the tactics shared in the lectures. On March 5, 1917, General Henry Horn of the British First Army approved of the plan, and it was set in motion. 
The idea was to assign each of the Canadian Corps' four divisions a specific objective. The attack was to be carried out on a front of 7,000 yards, 6,400 meters, the center of which stood opposite and just due west of the tiny village of Vimy. The first objective was to seize the German forward defensive line. The second and third were the encompassing of the village of Deleuze, as well as the woods surrounding Vimy, and the capture of the Zwulfe Graben Trench and the German second line, respectively, with the fourth and final objective being the taking of a fortified knoll known as the Pimple, the highest point on the ridge, along with the adjacent Folie Farm, Zwischenstellung Trench, and the of the troops themselves would advance behind what's known as a creeping barrage, a sort of massive and sustained artillery fire, or shelling, along a line that targets specific points, in specially timed 100-yard, 90-meter increments. The plan was to have these units leapfrog over one another as the advance unfolded, only to gain momentum during the attack itself. If executed successfully, the Germans would essentially be cornered, with no chance of defending their positions, thus assuring an Allied victory. By February of 1917, word had circulated amongst the Germans that an enemy offensive was being prepared. These rumors were solidified when a German-born Canadian deserter informed them of the Allies' plans, providing them with detailed information surrounding the attack. The following month, they knew for certain that said plan was to capture Vimy Ridge from them. Thus the Germans drew up a plan of their own. Operation Munich, an attack meant to capture the northern section of the surrounding valley, the Zouave, which served as the northernmost section of the Canadian front. Luckily, however, the operation was never carried out, as the barrage of Canadian artillery raining down upon them made it virtually impossible. Bombardment had begun on March 20th, and was focused initially on taking out German batteries, trenches, and strongpoints. The Canadian Corps gunners soon began turning their attention to the enemy's barbed wire defenses, however, as they had proven time and again to be practically impenetrable and making the advance across no man's land no easy task. For two weeks prior to the offensive, the Canadians relentlessly shelled the enemy, so much so that the Germans later referred to it as the Week of Suffering. With their trenches and defensive lines almost completely destroyed, their morale plummeted to a new low. In addition, they were exhausted from having to essentially be on alert for eleven straight days, and were in desperate need of fresh rations and sleep. So it was that, on April 3rd, General Ludwig von Falkenhausen of the German 6th Army sent in his reserve divisions to relieve the battlewary frontline troops. But while the previous divisions were relieved of their duties, things would only prove to be even more difficult for their replacements. In the wee hours of April 9th, Easter Monday, the four divisions of Canadian troops were moved into place. It was an unseasonably, as well as unspeakably cold day, with grey, overcast skies that soon gave way to sleet and snow, but the tempest seemed to work to their advantage, as its northwesterly course meant that the adverse weather would be blown out of their faces and directly into those of the enemy. All the while, British and Canadian artillery fire rained down on the Germans, that is, until a few minutes before the attack. At around 5.30 a.m., the Canadian Corps began firing every piece of artillery at their disposal, laying waste not only to no man's land, but to the enemy trench line. Emerging from their trenches, the Canadian troops began advancing, gaining a staggering 100 yards, 90 meters in just three minutes, one of the fastest and most significant advances in the entirety of the war. Less than an hour later, at around 6.25 a.m., the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Divisions had reached the German defensive line, thus successfully completing the first objective. The 4th Division, on the other hand, encountered heavy enemy fire and resistance, and therefore took some time to catch up with their comrades. Regardless, just after 7 a.m., the 1st Division managed to capture their second objective, while the 2nd Division took the village of Les Tilleuls in about the same amount of time. This first day alone reported heavy German losses of both key strategic positions as well as lives. This was due to a combination of the Canadian Corps' winning strategies, as well as their relentless use of artillery and firepower. 
However, the 4th Division, which as you'll remember encountered some trouble in its initial advance, suffered the most with several of its soldiers shot down by enemy machine gun fire. But reserve units came to their aid with persistent attacks that ultimately caused the Germans to withdraw from their position. For a little while, it appeared to the Canadians that Vimy Ridge was theirs for the taking, but overnight, German reinforcements were sent in to relieve their wounded and battle-stricken fellow troops. Under other circumstances, this may have spelled doom for the Canadians, but by 9.30am the following day, April 10th, the British had sent in several reinforcements to support the 1st and 2nd Division's advance. They were backed by two sections of tanks, as well as the might of the 13th British Brigade. By 11am that morning, the village of Delus, the second objective, had been successfully relinquished from German possession. But the advance was halted for an hour and a half, however, as machine guns were brought forward to provide further firepower against the enemy. Just before 1pm, the stage was set for the Canadian Corps to complete the remainder of their objectives. With the arrival of the machine guns, the advance continued. Backed by tanks and British reserve divisions, the 1st and 2nd Canadian divisions were able to secure the Zwölfe Graben Trench and the German second line, the third objective, by around 2 p.m. Completion of the 4th objective, and therefore victory, seemed to loom on the horizon when the 4th Division made an attempt to capture Vimy Ridge itself at about 3.15 p.m. For mere minutes, the Canadians claimed the escarpment before the Germans retaliated with a vicious counterattack and retook the position. But the enemy was soon bombarded by continuously reinforced Canadian troops. With no reinforcements in sight, the Germans were forced to pull back and, shortly thereafter, evacuated the ridge entirely. By the end of the second day, the only objective that was left was the capture of the so-named Pimple, the fortified knoll that doubled as the highest point on the ridge. But there was one last German regiment left on the ridge, the 4th Guards Infantry Division. As you could imagine, the enemy weren't willing to relinquish it without a fight. Having relieved the 16th Bavarian Infantry Division, the initial regiment responsible for securing the pimple, in the early morning hours of April 11th, the third day, they were raring to go and would prove a formidable foe against the Canadian Corps. This reinforcement caused the Canadians to delay their assault on the pimple until the following day, but not before raining down heavy artillery, as well as carrying out a poison gas attack on the nearby German-occupied village of Givenchy en Goel. On 4 a.m. on April 12th, the enemy relied on small arms fire to hold back the Canadian advance and assault. Roughly an hour later, however, the 10th Canadian Brigade attacked, back with a bevy of artillery and support from other Canadian regiments. The Germans tried in vain to strike back with their own defensive artillery, but it arrived too late and did little to cause much damage on the advancing Canadians. Seizing the opportunity to break through gaps in the Germans' defensive lines, and aided by inclement weather, the 10th Canadian Brigade was able to successfully capture the pimple by around 6pm. By nightfall, Vimy Ridge belonged to the Allies. In all, the Canadian Corps had incurred a total of 10,602 casualties over the three days in which the Battle of Vimy Ridge had been fought. Of these, 3,598 men were killed and 7,004 were wounded. The number of those suffered by the Germans remains unknown, but it was later recorded that some 4,000 of them had been captured as prisoners of war. The enemy never made an attempt to recapture the ridge and it remained under Allied control throughout the duration of the war. Four members of the Canadian Corps would go on to receive the Victoria Cross, the highest military honor and decoration awarded to British and Commonwealth forces for valor, for their actions in the battle. They were Captain Thane Wendell McDowell of the 38th Ottawa Battalion, Private William Johnstone Milne of the 16th Canadian Scottish Battalion, Private John George Pattison of the 50th Calgary Battalion, and Lance Sergeant Ellis Wellwood Sifton of the 18th Western Ontario Battalion. 
In addition, a memorial, the largest to commemorate Canadians' military service, was built on the highest point of Vimy Ridge. Designed by Toronto-based architect and sculptor Walter Seymour Allward, it was completed in July of 1936, and its unveiling was attended by such dignitaries as King Edward VIII of Britain and President Albert Lebrun of France. A crowd of some 50,000 people were said to have gathered, including some 6,200 Canadian veterans and their families. To this day, the Battle of Vimy Ridge stands as an important moment in Canada's history, not so much for its military strategy or its outcome, but as a symbol of Canadian national unity. It was the first instance in which all four Canadian divisions fought together, each of which was comprised of troops from all over the country. On top of that, it was this battle that established Canada as a preeminent military power, a nation that could stand on its own two feet and not just in the shadow of the British Empire from which it had sprung. Though total independence would not come to Canada until 1982, the Battle of Vimy Ridge served as the turning point, the defining moment in its history that set it down the path towards complete autonomy. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it enlightening as I did in making it. For my listeners outside of Canada, did you know about the Battle of Vimy Ridge prior to this episode? I confess that I didn't, but I'm all the wiser for discovering its importance and relevance. If you like this and all my previous episodes and would like to support future content, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. By visiting anchor.fm slash historylovescompany, you'll find a support button on the page. Click it and you'll be redirected to three monthly support plans that fit your budget and monetary needs. Listening and sharing help as well, so please do so on all streaming platforms. Join me next week as we take a look at one of the real inspirations behind the fictitious kingdom of Wakanda from the Marvel Comics and Cinematic Universe, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you then. Thank you.